Welcome to Victory GP. We're excited you've joined us, and we hope you're impacted and inspired by today's message. Our season this year, we are talking about living in the light. And living in the light is this massive topic that is going to be life-changing, absolutely. Big topic um, that has so many details to it, but it is going to bring freedom guaranteed. One of the things that I was super excited about uh, last week, I, don't, I have like this love-hate relationship with social media. But uh, Jonathan put together like a little reel that went out. Um, he puts it on Instagram and Facebook and some of you guys saw it. So it had the, the little bit of the video clip of the spark of life that happens at conception and just a little bit of the scripture that goes with it. And just on the backswing, he also put it on TikTok, which we never really do anything with. And within like a day, I don't know if Johnny's up here somewhere, but it, within like a day, it was in the hundreds of thousands of views. He like sent me a, a screenshot. He's like, what is happening? And Instagram, it's in hundreds of thousands of views. And there's this ongoing dialogue. And this is the part that excites me, not that, just that people have seen it, but the ongoing dialogue underneath it is about life. And it is about uh, abortion versus choice for life. It's about euthanasia. Like people are talking. People are like, I never actually thought of it this way before. I never actually saw life like that before. I never thought that this is how it could be. And we didn't say anything except shine the light. This is, this is so cool because the light is attractive. The light is life. The light is love. And so we're going to keep pressing into this. Um, and today we're going to talk about watching the lens. And watching the lens is about how we see the things around us, how we view people, how we view situations, how we are choosing to engage with other people. And as I said, this, this past one, this was such a good example of just shining light just showing what light is, what God says about things, and suddenly the dialogue just takes off on its own, and people begin to have a revelation because the light is life-giving. So just to recap for those who maybe weren't here, but this is our foundation of everything that we go into this year. Number one, Jesus is the light. So this is, this is our core belief. We're not just talking about forces of good versus forces of evil and random, you know, Star Wars, white and black, whatever. Not, not, not that. Jesus is the light. That is the direction. That is the focus that we have. Number two, darkness is an effect, not a cause. And so literally the science on it is the speed of darkness is the direct opposite of the speed of light. So as fast as the light moves the other direction, darkness engages. That's literally how it works. So darkness has no matter of its own. It has nothing that can be measured other than as the light moves back, the darkness fills the gap. So if we see things that are upsetting to us, it's literally just an absence of light. It's an absence. If we see things that are, it seems like the darkness is advancing, it means that the light has regressed. And we are the bearers of the light. So this is hopeful. This is life-giving. This means if we see stuff that we feel like darkness is triumphing and it seems to be advancing and, and squeezing out life, then we actually have a mission and a calling that we get to step into, which is super exciting. It, it, it's empowering to know that we get to be bearers of the light. And number three, then, we have been invited to live in the light. Not just to walk in the light, not just to uh, talk about the light, but to live in the light. This is, this is home to us. The presence of God, the presence of Jesus, this is home to us. We're not talking about abstract light. We're talking about the presence of God. Living in that place, this is home to us. Isaiah 9-2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. And this is the, the prophetic word that was about Jesus coming to the earth. And I love this particular symbolism of this scripture because it means that pre-Jesus, we are walking in darkness and we are walking in the shadow of death. Constantly. That's the state of the world. Pre-Jesus, if we don't know Jesus, we are walking in darkness and we are walking in the shadow of death. So sometimes when you wonder, like, wh why are certain things happening? Why does this seem to be the flow of thought? Why does this seem to be the flow of action? It is because this world around us is walking in darkness. There's a walking in darkness. And so you, you do better when you know better. 
When you have a revelation, you can walk it out. But until you do, we're bumbling around in the dark trying to do the best we can. You know, there's this, um, I remember the story of uh, my in-laws. Wayne's mom one day, farming season, I feel like it was like harvest season about this time of year. So everybody was tired and whatever. And she thought it was going to be a good idea that day to rearrange the furniture. And so... You know, dad comes in at the end of the day, it's dark, stumbles in, he's exhausted, you know, showers up, goes to get into bed, goes to sit down on the bed, the bed's not there because the bed has moved. These things happen in the dark. Sometimes we stumble, we think that we know where we're going, but we don't without the light. So what we have is a pattern of behavior where we, we see a measure of success. Prior to this day, he would have been able to come in on any dark night and sit on the edge of bed and get ready for bed, right? He would, he would say, I am successful at navigating in the dark unless something changes, right? Sometimes what we think is going well in our lives is just a pattern of behavior where we have learned the predictable boundaries and we've learned to function within it, but it's not the same thing as seeing. It's not the same thing as walking in the light. And so pre-Jesus, we are walking in the darkness in the shadow of death. After Jesus, we are walking in the light and fullness of life. And so this shift, this is kind of like coming out of a dark room and you walk out and you can't see a thing. Um, You move into this place where it's like, it's so bright. It takes a bit for your eyes to adjust. Some of us, spiritually speaking, that's what happened. We walked out and we're like, oh my goodness, everything is so different than I thought it was. And for some, it got scary. And so they backpedaled into the dark. This is what I know and understand. I'm going to stay where I can understand it. I'm going to stay where I can control it. But God's like calling us into this place of, no, let me teach you what it looks like to live in the light. Let me show you how it functions. Let me shift your perspective. Because if you look at it through the old lens, the old perspective, you're going to miss what I'm trying to tell you. And one of the things that I am just, like, if I stop for any length of time and just meditate, I am... I am so incredibly 100% confident that Jesus is the answer to everything that I, I, I struggle with my assertiveness and my, you know, I, I, I can come across sometimes as a little bit shovey. I legitimately just believe Jesus is the answer for everything. He, he literally is, there is a Jesus answer for every issue in life. There is Jesus wisdom for every concern we have. There is Jesus supply for every space of lack. I literally believe that this is the thing. But when people don't have the same lens or the same perspective as me, what it comes across as sometimes, or it may, is like, why are you shoving your religious garbage down my throat? That's not the intention, but I have to understand that I'm, I'm seeing things through a certain lens. And so we have to come to this common place where I can see you where you're at. And from my lens, I can come and give it to you in a way that you can receive it. I can shift. I can, I can go, okay, well, what's your perspective? Let me, let me try and see it from your perspective. Okay doesn't change what truth is, but it maybe changes how I present it. And so this is, this is the idea of perspective. So let's just look at these uh, couple pictures. We'll just pop the first one up. Okay, so the, the, the text on this one was a cat assembling himself. <laughs> so if we, if we go to the next one, we, we can see he's actually just beating up his brother uh, perspective though, right? The perspective is like, wait a minute, what is that? Okay, next one. So obviously there's this guy jumping in the lake next to a huge woman, um, which is super weird. But if we, if we kind of take another look, the woman is actually just holding a C and M. Let's go back to the one before. Now, there's like a lot of, whoa, yeah. Not actually the 30 foot woman next to the tiny man. But perspective, right? Our perspective changes when we actually look at it through a different lens. Okay, next one. Okay, and the next one. So obviously, this is life-threatening. Or, yeah. 
we're just doing a photo shoot. This perspective is completely different and not nearly as harrowing as the first one was, right? Okay, so this is the kind of thing, this is what we see is truth, the way we perceive it, but sometimes our lens needs to be changed. Sometimes our lens needs to be adjusted. So we would swear to what we see is truth. We would swear to, I saw it with my own eyes, but maybe my lens is wrong. Maybe my perspective is wrong. So one of my favorite quotes, as always, I've mentioned this one a few times, but eyes that look are common. Eyes that see are rare. And I think that's such a big key. Eyes that look, we all see around us. We all look around us and we, we take in information. But what are we actually seeing? What is it that we're actually processing? What is it that we are accurately uh, viewing and taking internally to respond to in a, in a proper way? What we're looking at is the perspective, which is kind of the same thing as lens. It's where and how and with whom we see things. Our culture and what is normal in the people group that we're in will have a lot to do with the lens that we see things through. So what is normal in your people group is not necessarily normal elsewhere. What you think is absolutely like, doesn't everybody do this? No, not everybody does that. Your people do, so you think that that's normal, but maybe it's not normal to everybody else. You're with me, right? This is a very specific thing. And so one of the examples that I read um, on this topic was talking about like if you lived in the forest and you, you know, you went on a vacation somewhere out by the sea and you were like fishing and whatever, to you it would be like this, I found food and I, I'm, I'm going after food. And it would be no big thing, but you found a food source. Now, if you're somebody who lives in that area by the sea and you've, you know that this is an endangered species and you shouldn't be eating that, it's not normal to you. But maybe that person who lives by the sea comes in and they suddenly uh, chop down trees and they're going to build a shelter and they're going to do all this stuff. And the person who lives in the woods looks at them and they're like, what are you doing? That species of tree, this is something that we're propagating so that it can rebuild. This is something that's been missing and you didn't realize it. Perspective is everything. So here's, a, here's an example uh, from an article uh, from Victoria Wilson. She says, culture matters because it creates a sense of belonging and safety within the group. When we participate in the group's events and accept its way of life as things, uh, the way things are, we signal that we fit in. Over time, we absorb the beliefs and behaviors the group sees as normal into our subconscious until we genuinely think their standards are our own. That's an interesting phrase. Over time, we absorb the beliefs and behaviors the group sees as normal into our subconscious until we genuinely think their standards are our own. The raging that we see in society around us right now is this. People very passionately believe what they believe. They absolutely, we all believe that what we believe is normal. Doesn't everybody think this way? Doesn't everybody see it this way? Doesn't everybody know that this is the way it is? Well, in our groups, it's true. In their groups, it's true. In their groups, it's true. But we have to come down to what is the actual truth. She goes on and she says, our lens acts as a powerful filter that shapes our unique identity as it relates to the world around us. Our cultural lens also informs us of who is an insider or an outsider. In other words, the lens that we're looking at life through will help us or it will cause us to decide who we allow in and who we don't. Who we talk to, who we share life with, who we engage with. Have you ever had that encounter where literally you bump into somebody and it's like they, they will not talk to you? I've, I've come to the place where if I'm going for certain services around town or whatever, I start with when they're like, what do you do for a living? I work at a church. And then I gauge their response. If I start with, I'm a pastor, things could go very wrong very quickly. I enjoy having hair. I enjoy certain things staying as they are. So I, I gauge the responses and then decide whether this is a place I can 
connect or not. I'm always willing to share Jesus and I'm looking for opportunities, but I'm trying to evaluate what is normal in this setting that I've just walked into. So it's that our cultural lens informs us who is an insider or an outsider. And now we've got this part. We're going to put it on the screen so that you can, you can catch this yourself. It says throughout our lives, we form narratives and biases based on how we perceive others through our lens. Then we interact with people based on that perspective, regardless, this is the key, regardless of whether it is true or not. This particular week, you guys all know the stuff that went on nationally, a lot of you we saw on Wednesday mornings, the narrative, the dialogue that came out federally was these hateful, awful bigoted, nasty people who are judging and critical and harsh and wrong, have no place in this nation, et cetera, et cetera. Mostly speaking of parents and grandparents who were looking for parental rights in the education system. Uh, the, the narrative changed based on this sort of situation, this bias of this is right or wrong. These people are acceptable or not acceptable. And therefore we all think this and we all have, this is, this is the thing that we commonly agree upon. The reason that I'm mentioning this is because it is so important. If we are going to be people who are living in the light, that our lens is accurate and not social based. It's not based on our, our nation. It's not based on our culture. It's not based on our people group. It is literally got to be based on the light. It's literally got to be, what does Jesus say? Truly, because we have become this, this people, uh, like globally, because of social media, because we can engage one another, we have become people of opinion who through the lens that we see, and this is the bias, through the lens that we see, we feel obligated to share our opinion with everybody. And that opinion is not going to bring about any kind of help or life unless it is literally the light, unless we are shining and walking in the light. So we need to know why we believe what we believe. How, how do we know it? We need to understand what it is that Jesus actually said and not some little piece or bit that we picked up from somewhere. There's an awful lot of things that we think are scripture that are actually just little you know, quotes that are on posters. They were never really what Jesus said. Somebody along the way, you know, said something that sounded good. And so we took it as gospel, but maybe it's not. And what stands the test of time is the light, the actual light. So for instance, when, when we have a, a reel that goes out and people are talking about, oh my goodness, I didn't realize that happened at conception. Is that a soul entering a body? They're asking questions like this and people are like, I, I never, I've never thought of it before. I didn't realize that anything happened that early on. They're having these questions. That is, that is living in the light. That is like letting Jesus, let Jesus do the, do the work, do the heavy lifting. Let the Holy Spirit speak. And so what we want to understand is number one, living in darkness creates a lens. And this is important. Living in darkness creates a lens. And sometimes we don't realize we're wearing it until we pause and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal it to us. So sometimes we've been walking around with a lens on because we're living in a world that's walking in darkness. And so what appears normal appears right. The sociology behind this is literally that thing that we see most common around us. We just read it. It decides what is an insider and what is an outsider. What is right and what is wrong. What is good and what is bad based on what is common. We can have this idea, this lens of what is common and not realize that it's there. We can, we can just walk in it and not know that it's normal. What we have to understand is just because it's normal doesn't mean it's good for us. And I was thinking about, I mean, gosh, my parents survived me as a teenager. Uh, they're, I mean, they were survivors, but I so badly wanted to be in the crowd. I so badly, like, I like people, I like parties, I like celebration, you know. So I so badly wanted to be in the crowd. I so badly 
wanted to go with everybody Friday night, Saturday night, whatever. I so badly wanted to be where everybody was because that is normal and that's where life is. It turns out they just drank beer in the woods (laughs) until they barfed and then talked about it on Monday morning. But somehow in my mind, that was the good thing. That was normal. That was the play. That's where everybody wanted to, to go and everybody wanted to be. Uh, there, was, there was this ongoing series of everybody would go to somebody's house for lunch. And I was like, me and a couple friends, we get left behind and we're just like having lunch by ourselves. We want to go where everybody else is having lunch. Well, an awful lot of them would all go to somebody's house to watch porn at lunch. There was, there was radical promiscuity. There was, there was radical brokenness. And in my mind, what is normal, what looks fun... What, like, my parents were robbing me of a good time. They were so mean and so strict, and they robbed me. (sighs) My perspective as a 15, 16 year old, right? As an adult, I am so grateful. Wayne and I were saying the other day, we went out the other night, and we're just, you know, talking about how, how grateful we are that we don't have regrets. That we don't have a trail of brokenness behind us. And I mean, a lot of us, we've, we've got different stuff that we screwed up in, let me tell you. But we don't have a trail of, of exes. We don't have a trail of stuff that, that, that we have to deal with long term. It was, it was this invitation um, into a life that appeared good from the outside. It appeared fun on the outside. But the long term benefits bore nothing good. The, what appeared to be harsh and mean and unfair was actually an invitation into light and life. And I know there's probably teenagers in the room right now that are like, oh, as if. Trust me on this one. Trust me on this one. When you are 30, 40, 50, and you're not packing around diseases that you didn't think you were going to get, and you don't have a layer of hurt and pain and trauma to have, you know, healed up. When you get the opportunity to actually live a life that God intended you to live, it is not your parents' cruelty. It is not their harshness. It is their voice of wisdom to help you live in the light and actually have life. And all the parents said, amen. Amen. All right, come on now. It's, it, is, it is the same thing as we go on in adulthood, right? We have all kinds of opportunities. What appears to be normal is not necessarily life. It is not necessarily something that is going to give us freedom or joy or hope. It's not necessarily, just because everybody's doing it does not mean it's God's best for us. When God gives us a boundary line, the boundary line is for our future, It is literally to give us life. And so we have to look out for the differences. Let's look at some basic differences. Darkness, for instance, has this this sense about it. Look out for yourself. Be superior. It's about blame. It's about justice. And it's about cancel culture. So just in terms of how we relate to one another. Look out for yourself superiority, I'm better than that person, I got it more together than that person, at least I'm not like that person. Blame, it's not my fault. If you had to live my life, you would understand it's not my fault, it's somebody else's fault. I need justice, I need somebody to pay for this, and if you don't agree with me, you're out of my life. You're gone. This is what the light looks like. The light says, lay down your life. Lay down your life for somebody else. It's not fair. They're not, they're not giving anything back. Mm, that is not what it says. Jesus actually modeled. He said, nobody's taking my life. I'm giving it. I am choosing to lay it down. I am choosing to go here. This is what the light looks like. It is about humility. It's not about me being better than anybody else. It's not about me having it more together than anybody else. It's about coming into a place where I know where I stand with God. And but for the grace of God... I could be in any pit, anywhere, anytime. But Jesus is everything. It's about forgiveness. 
Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. Literally, it is about letting people off the hook. Crazy, right? It's about love covering. The word says love covers a multitude of wrongs. What, what would be exposed on the other side, love comes in and goes, you know what? Everybody doesn't need to know all about this. I love you enough to keep this to myself. And it's about grace. It's about God giving us what we don't deserve. <laughs> Where we deserve punishment, we deserve judgment, we deserve a penalty. God comes in and he offers grace. I've heard that there's a bit of a pushback. Um, you know, the pregnancy care center in town here has just, in the last um, while, they just, their declaration is not necessarily we're pro-life, but we're pro-grace. And some people find that very offensive. But grace is not about pro-abortion. Grace is saying, we're going to bring God into this situation. And we're going to love you no matter what. We're going to explain to you what it is that actually happens. We're going to explain to you life and death. And we're going to talk about the value of life. We're going to talk about the value of your life. We're going to talk about the value of the life of, of, of your child. We're going to talk about the value of the life that is yet before you. We're going to talk about how good God is and how much he loves you. That sort of stuff. That's, we, we can package it different ways. But when we talk about grace, grace comes in and grace is like, and if you've made a mistake or if you've made a decision that you're not happy with, grace is there for you. God is there for you to walk you through to the other side. From the very beginning of the story, the lens that comes in, we see the dialogue that comes with it. And Genesis 2, we're going to look at just a couple scriptures. Last week, we talked about how the very, very beginning of the book, when, when God spoke and he said, let there be light and life came into the earth. So that was amazing. Life happened. God made Adam and Eve. He made the trees. He made the, the plants, the animals. He made everything that we see, all this beautiful stuff. And within just a little bit of time, something else happens. So it starts and it says, Then the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it. What an awesome job. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, this would be a definition of what I just explained to you as a teenager. Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. In other words, you don't need to know what evil looks like. There, there's some stuff that is not for you. There's a, a dimension that you're not meant to be part of. Because if you do, something in you begins to die. So God's not being all mean. He's not like, well, here's the 1% rule. This 1% you can't have. No, God's setting a boundary line for success. But it goes on just a little bit further in Genesis 3. And we're going to read 1 and 4 and 5. And it says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Then the serpent said to the woman, verse 4, she says, well, no, he says, you know, he says, we can't touch it, we can't eat it, blah, blah, blah. The serpent says to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the serpent comes in and he twists, he brings this accusation, he brings this like question mark, why would God be withholding from you? He just doesn't want you to have the good stuff. He doesn't want you to have the good stuff. He doesn't want you to know all the things. He doesn't want you to succeed. He doesn't want you to experience full things, the fullness of life, fullness. He doesn't want you to have everything. He is, he is a withholder. God is trying to keep you from the good stuff. That same lie permeates all of society. Literally. If, if you say that you're a believer, you will have somebody really quickly come back to you. I would never do that. I want to have fun. From the beginning, there's been a twisting of the story. So we know God came to the garden. He came to walk with Adam like he normally did. And Adam was hiding. And he was like, you know, in the trees. Shame had come in. And it says in Genesis 3, 11 to 13, The Lord said, Who told you you were naked? 
because Adam said, I'm hiding because I'm naked. Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me. So I ate. So the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat the dust of all the days of your life. So this process happens. The serpent comes and he twists what God says and it makes it look like God is withholding something good. He blames, he accuses. The first response when it happens is something shifts and they are aware we're insufficient. Something's missing. I'm not enough. That is our culture. Something's missing. I'm not enough. Something's missing. I need more. Something's missing. I need to pacify it. Something's missing. I feel vulnerable. Something's missing. And why? Why is something missing? The first thing that Adam does is he goes, that woman, that woman that you gave me. So God, it's your fault because you gave me her and she, she made me. She goes, well, no, the serpent, that, he lied to me. He did it. It's his fault. Nobody's taking any responsibility. Everybody immediately starts blaming somebody else for their deficiency. This is our culture. God is a liar. His motives are wrong and cruel. He lied to you. That's the dialogue. It's her fault. It's his fault. There is accusation. There is excuse. And there is blame. There is blame. There is blame. This is the dialogue that we live in as in our culture. This darkened culture that we live in is excuses and blame and victim. Something happened to me. Somebody did something. Something out there is causing the brokenness in my life. Something out there is to blame. Somebody needs to fix it. And God's just inviting us to see things through a different lens. Are you with me? We have to understand that that soundbite of accusation is your fault. It's your fault. It's your fault I'm like this. It's your fault I react like this. It's your fault I behave like this. It's your fault I'm doing this. It's somebody else's. That dialogue, have you ever noticed that no matter how many special gatherings we have, we can't apologize for enough things about anything. Because what's broken is inside. And the only one who can truly heal is Jesus. So as long as we're pointing fingers at each other, and it's been going on since Genesis 3, we'll never find the answers. We'll never live in the light. We'll always be under a cloud of darkness. There will always be a measure of bondage. There will always be a wave of pain. But God invites us into more. Colossians 1, 13 and 14, it says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness. And He has conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood and the forgiveness of sins. It means that He has taken us and He's invited us into this new way of doing and being. It's not that we get there on our own, but Jesus has made a way for us to live in this place. So number two then, living in the light requires a new lens. And this is a very important thing. And I'm praying that we can hear it by the Spirit today because this is not an intellectual thing. Let me just tell you, I believe um, very strongly that most of us have been affected by the lens of darkness and that there are elements of our life that we still live in that lens, that we look at, that we react to people, that we engage situations through that lens. Not because Jesus hasn't paid for it, but because we haven't learned how to live in that place of the light. So we have to have the new lens. Everything about Jesus is light and life, and it tends towards freedom. So learning to live in the new thing the new lens is learning where we've seen incorrectly in the past. It's learning that our perspective might be skewed. It's possible that we have seen things, situations, and even people wrong. So the question is, as we go into this today, are we willing to allow the Lord to show us where we've been seeing things wrong? Are we willing to actually be wrong? 
That was so exciting. That was, that was an incredible response. The reality is we all want to be right, right? I see things correctly. I've studied. I know. I'm aware. I'm right. You're wrong. When you come to see it my way, you'll finally know the truth. It's possible that we are wrong. It's possible that we have evaluated people and situations incorrectly. It's possible that we have maybe expressed love and light incorrectly. It's possible that in our zeal for the truth, we might be wrong. We know that Paul had that moment when he was Saul and the the presence of God knocked him off his horse and he had this revelation, oh my goodness, I'm actually wrong. I I didn't know I was zealously going in the other direction, but now I can see and now it changes everything. So this invitation, it's this thing that God presents to us and we get to decide to allow him to show us what we need to see. One of the things that's interesting, there's this uh, passage in John 7 where uh, the, the people are coming at him, at Jesus, and they're like upset because he's healing people on the Sabbath. And they actually accuse Jesus of being demon-possessed. That's a little flawed. He's, they literally are like, you're possessed because you're not following the Sabbath. And Jesus answers in John 7, 24. He says, do not judge according to the appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. In other words, you got to see it through God's lens. You think you're seeing it. You think, you think, you know, but you cannot judge by what you're seeing. You have to get God's lens on this. So I want to just take a little bit of time. We're going to look at John chapter eight. And this is this incredible passage of forgiveness that is hope-giving and life-giving. It's incredibly beautiful and horrifying all at the same time. And it says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning, he came again to the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery So let's just pause there. Jesus had been to the Mount of Olives. He'd spent time with the Father. He's having his like morning fellowship time and it's a beautiful morning. And he goes into the tabernacle. He goes into the the gathering place and people gather around him. And Jesus is having this holy moment. And the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious wise ones, bring him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst... They said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. So in other words, Jesus is having this holy morning. He had his nice cup of awesome coffee, I'm sure. You know, just talking with the father. Lord, what, father, what are we going to do today? What's the plan? He's having this. And here comes, they're dragging this poor, mostly naked woman, probably drop him in front of her. She was caught right in the act. Good morning to you too. Happy way to start the day. And it goes on and it says a little bit further. And they had set her in the midst. Then they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that she should be stoned. Boy, this is just getting better and better. What do you say? What do you say? They said this testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. Isn't this weird? It's not even about the woman who was caught in adultery. They are looking for a loophole to accuse Jesus that he's actually bad. They are looking for, there's this undertone of self-righteous garbage that is looking to point a finger at the son of God, at the righteous one, at the one who is holy and altogether good and lovely and pure. They're looking for something to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. I love that. How irritating was that to them, right? So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her. First, let him throw a stone at her first. And then he again stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, 
went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are these accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. This, this situation is so typical of what plays out in the public square today. It is so typical, this, this accusation of I'm right, you're wrong, this flavor of we're trying to prove a point, this sense of something has to be done here. And it's playing out and they were looking for a way to trick him and a way to accuse him. So they found somebody who could be the player or the, the puppet in the middle of what the actual argument was, was is Jesus really the Messiah? Is he really God? Is this really the truth? That was the real question, but they used this poor woman in the middle of it to create an argument, to create a scene. And there are people in our society today that are absolutely getting paraded around as a symbol of what is this exact thing, trying to prove, is Jesus right or is he not? trying to accuse what the Bible says of being hateful, of being hurtful, of being limiting, of being judgy. There's people that are caught in the midst of what is really a holy dialogue that started in Genesis 3 between the accuser and the righteous one. We are people who are in the middle of this thing that is this this massive dialogue that goes on for century after century after century, something that Jesus has said is finished and we know the end of the story. But in the meantime, the accusations just keep coming. So we can imagine what it would be like to be that poor woman. And every single one of us, let me tell you, has received this kind of mercy. Every single one of us. If we have received Jesus, we have received this kind of mercy, this kind of grace, this kind of kindness, this kind of love. We have deserved, they say the law says she should be stoned. The wages of sin are death. Every one of us deserves judgment. And yet every single one of us is this woman who gets dragged out in the midst of something that is bigger than us. And the accuser comes and he brings the accusations and Jesus comes with grace and mercy and forgiveness and he offers a different a different response verse 10 he says where are your accusers has no one condemned you the word condemned means judged sentenced or damned has nobody judged you has nobody sentenced you she says no no one lord and when she says Lord, the word that she uses for Lord means master and God. In that moment of mercy, she decides Jesus is the one. And that is all it takes. She doesn't have to earn her way back in. She doesn't have to prove that she's going to change her ways. She doesn't have to prove that she's going to be a good person now. She doesn't have to go and apologize to everybody. She comes and she just in this moment receives mercy and grace. She decides Jesus is the one and Jesus says to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. There's two parts to this. One is neither do I condemn you. Why? Because Jesus came to take that condemnation, to take that punishment, to take, he was the spotless one who came to bear it for us. It wasn't saying that there was no penalty. He was saying, I'm going to carry it for you. He wasn't condoning it. And it wasn't like, well, you know, off you go, have fun. He just didn't need to really highlight all the details. He just said, don't do it anymore. Just change. From today, just accept mercy. From today, accept grace. From today, accept my kindness and my love. T today, 
Accept the fact that I am willing to pay this for you. And don't do it anymore. Just change your ways. And then he goes on, and this is the key for us. He says very specifically that I am the light of the world. Verse 12, he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. He's going on from this point and he's saying, she actually, the way she's gonna do this, he's telling everybody else. He's like, I don't have to explain to her all the ways she was bad. I don't have to highlight to her all the damage that has been done to her, the damage she has. I don't have to go into all this. But because she's made this decision, when she walks with me, whoever walks with me, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. When she now walks with me, because I'm going to illuminate things for her, everything's going to change. He's saying, I'm not saying that, that she could just go back and carry on as is. He's saying everything has changed because the light is now shining on this situation. The light is now shining on her life. The light is going to bring her into new way of being and doing and seeing. The light is going to change everything because the light is me. This is incredible. So number three, then Jesus is the lens. Jesus is the lens. We have to learn to see through his eyes. And this matters because we have some extremes in our society. We have extremes in our culture. We have extremes that are not leading towards life. But poking at people and yelling at people and posturing is not going to bring any measure of freedom. Shining the light is. We have to see through those eyes. When Jesus said, I am the light of the world, he who follows me shall not walk in darkness. To walk, the, the word that he used there in the Greek uh, translation is to tread all around, to be occupied with, or to live. So, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me shall not tread around, be occupied with, or live in darkness. They just won't. When I'm present, my light is going to chase the darkness right out. My light is going to change everything. But we have to decide to step into this. We have to decide to see through his lens. And this is very hard because we've been in the spirit of accusation. We've been in the place where darkness says blame, 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 blame. So sometimes when we encounter the light, where we turn it is we turn it internal. I can't believe I did this. I've been this kind of person. I've come from this kind of place. I've had a habit of this. I've got a history of that. And we allow space for the accuser to come in and torment us so that we are unable to live in the light. We choose to make spaces for darkness to be where light should be. John 3, 16 and 17, you guys know this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Wow. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Some of us need to take our soapboxes and step off them and use them for firewood and go love somebody. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, that the world through him might be saved. But that the world through him might be saved. That is the hope. That is the goal. That is what Jesus came for. So we have to see through this lens. We can be upset about what's going on, but we take it and we run it through the lens, the filter of what does Jesus say about this? What is Jesus' response to this? What does heaven have to say in this moment? What does freedom look like? What does light look like in this particular moment? Jesus did not condemn her actions because her actions already condemned her. The actions brought about the, the, the I know I deserve. But mercy came and Jesus paid the price for her. There's a spirit of accusation that started in the beginning, we read it in the end, we know that the enemy of our souls accuses us night and day. Our answer is always only Jesus. None of us has a good defense. None of us is righteous 
on our own. None of us does the right stuff. So when we understand that there is an accuser that is bringing about this stuff, we also have to understand that there's something in us that knows when things are wrong. Even the people who have never met Jesus yet have a sense of, I think what I'm doing is wrong. I think that there's something that feels off about my experiences of life. I, I, we ran into this, um, as we do all the time, when we invite you know, a bunch of new people into a church event or whatever, and people will say, oh, I don't think you want me there. I'll get struck by lightning. <laughs> Why? <laughs> well, if you, knew, if you knew what kind of life I live. Why would they say that? There's an internal sense. We don't have to tell one another about sin. There's an internal dialogue that comes from the conviction of the Holy Spirit. There's something that happens particularly once we are believers. But the accuser of the brethren comes and he badgers and he harasses and he wants to keep our eyes on what has been instead of what has been done. That shift is all about choosing to live in the light. Dr. Henry Wright says, accusation will use truth as a weapon to destroy you and others. It will misrepresent God and his word to abuse and lay a burden of guilt. Let's just leave that up there for a minute. Accusation, I think this is key, will use truth as a weapon. You did it. Feel bad. You need to feel really bad because you did it. God's holy. He'll never be able to, he'll never be able to look at you with what you've done. The woman caught in adultery, thrown at Jesus' feet. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. But go and sin no more. The accusation that comes takes root and it changes us because it creates a hole in us that darkness gets to thrive in. And what happens is people who are living under a spirit of accusation or an, uh, an accusing spirit has come against them and it hasn't been dealt with, will automatically externalize it and accuse others. So if I feel accused, suddenly I go back to that woman that you gave me, she did it. No, the serpent, that, that serpent, he did it. We immediately, if we're walking under that spirit of accusation, we will immediately look for a place to deposit it. And the people that we live with and we love, we will point the finger at them and we will judge and we will critique and we will measure by our standard instead of living by the light, instead of doing what Jesus said when he lived in this. It doesn't mean that we just let stuff go. It means that we have no agreement with that spirit of accusation. We have no, no right to stand in judgment of one another. Specifically, it is clear. Matthew 7, 1 to 2. Judge not lest you be judged. For with the judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. In other words, as soon as you step into that place of evaluating others, and generally it's not even about evaluating the actions so much as it's about evaluating the motives. And only God judges the motives of the heart. Only he knows really what's behind anything that happens. And so we have this opportunity where we can, we can criticize, we can judge, we can evaluate, or we can love and we can walk humbly. And we can extend mercy and kindness. And most importantly, we can pray that if we are genuinely concerned about a person or a situation, that they have an encounter with the light. Because the light will expose the darkness to be healed. The accuser exposes the darkness to per perpetrate it and extend it. The light brings about healing. So once again, John 8, 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. As we close today, I want to just take a, a few minutes and we're just gonna we're just gonna invite the Holy Spirit to um, just shine the searchlight on our hearts. I truly believe that this is one of the key 
starting points of this living in the light viewpoint that God's giving us is if we are walking in judgment, we're walking under judgment. And some of us are experiencing a measure of unrest on the inside where we would like to defend ourselves. We would like to plead our cause. We would like to confront. We would like to handle things. And there's this unrest on the inside that is actually motivated from the very beginning of experiencing the spirit of accusation against ourselves. Somebody has said something, done something, pointed a finger, directed something, and it feels like they don't understand. They don't, that's not right, that's not fair. I only did that because. There was a reason that this happened. There was a, and there's a, there's a desire to self-defend. And I feel like today we just need to recognize that the fact that we feel that is just that the enemy of our souls has come and he's launched an arrow and it has taken root somewhere it doesn't belong. Because the God who knows us completely and loves us unconditionally, he literally paid the price for our sin. He is the one who knows our hearts. He's the one who understands the motives behind it. No amount of talking, no amount of, of pressing the point is going to solve that. But coming towards Jesus and allowing him to slam the door on the accusation and bring healing is going to change everything. At the end of the day, it's his well done that we want. Isn't it? I mean, it'd be great if we had everybody in our life thought we were perfect, but that will never happen. But we have to be honest and let the searchlight come in. The other side of that is we need to be honest and let the searchlight come in on areas where we have become the accuser. where our eyes have been on the flaws of others and the failings of others and they haven't measured up to what we expected. And so we have pointed the finger and we have pointed the arrow ourselves and we're, we're trying to bring about change for them. But Jesus is like, that's my job. That's my job. And I believe some of us just need to repent today from walking in the spirit of judgment and accusation. That we have evaluated individuals, people groups, parts of our society. We've evaluated and we've decided what is okay and what is not. And again, this is not about is stuff sin or is it not sin? The point is it's not our job. Our job is to live in the light and to introduce people to how good God is. And the Holy Spirit's job is to convict. And the blood that was shed is there to cleanse and to wash clean. Let's stand together this morning. If I could just have the worship team come, can we just, can we just move into the resurrection power lightly? But I want to invite you this morning. I know our kids are ready, but let's, let's leave them for a couple minutes. As we go into this song, I want to actually invite you to respond today. And I feel like if there is a place where accusation has touched you, either you have felt it hit your heart and you need to extend forgiveness and you need to come into conversation with God about that, or you have been one who has walked in it. I want to invite you this morning to just come to the front. And we're going to give it to God. We're going to ask him to put the light on it and to help us step out of that filter of darkness, that lens of darkness that we've lived in because that's our society. And we're going to be people of the light who walk in the light, who live in the light, who respond differently, who engage differently, who view people through the eyes of love and let God do what God does. That we can, we can actually speak the truth in love if it's actually in love and not accusation. 
that we can be bold about our decisions when we're being bold in love and not arrogance. That we can let the past go and we can walk in forgiveness because it's actually accepting mercy and not just not accepting responsibility. Right? This is, this is the place that God's calling us into. Can you imagine, can you imagine being that woman who got dragged through the streets naked, accused? Where do you go from that day? How do you show up at the market tomorrow? Unless you've let the love come in and wash away every voice of accusation. Unless you're walking in freedom and wholeness. So this morning, as we just go into this song, and if you feel like there's something you just want to engage God about this today, this new lens, you want this lens, come on up to the front and let's engage him. And Lord, we just thank you for changing our hearts this morning. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thanks again for listening to this message from Victory Church Grand Prairie. You can stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by using at VictoryChurchGP. If you have any questions, would like to access our online resources, or would like to sow into this ministry, you can visit us at www.VictoryGP.com. You can also text to give. Just text 587-207-4387 and follow the prompting. Thanks again for joining us at Victory GP. Reach. Teach. Mobilize.